Revised, edited, and re-recorded. This is The Addendum. Welcome to episode 129 of The Addendum. My name is Eric. The story revised for this episode came from an idea that had been milling around in my head for quite some time. The problem was, I never knew what to do with it. The original draft that was written for this podcast was lacking in detail and read more like an outline instead of a complete story. This revised version hits all of the same plot points, however, very little of the original content remains. The dialogue is different, the locations have been changed, and a majority of the description and progression has been improved. There is not much more to say other than I hope you enjoy it. Without any further delay, the story will now begin. The Pale Distance by Keith Eric Brandt A crack in the radiator hose had caused the engine to overheat. Gordon closed the hood of the car. He wiped sweat from his brow and looked at the wet beads glistening on his fingertips. He was over an hour outside of the city, and he had not seen another vehicle on the two-lane blacktop all morning. By his estimate, it was already a hundred degrees in the dry heat. He could not wait by the roadside. He had no water, and he knew he would die from dehydration in the hours it might take for a wayward traveler to happen upon his broken-down vehicle. Across the empty expanse of the Yuma Plains, he could see the tops of buildings. Even though distance can be tricky to estimate over endless miles of flat earth, and it was entirely possible it could be a trick of the light making the buildings appear much closer than they actually were, he knew, given the circumstance, it was the best chance he had. If it was the very northwest end of the city, it could be as close as 15 miles directly south across the Yuma Desert. Despite the bad fortune of having car problems and no water, he was actually dressed fairly well given the unfavorable conditions. He was wearing a loose yellow jersey, blue jeans, and a new pair of shoes. Only his face and the back of his neck needed protection from the blistering sun. Gordon popped open the trunk of his car and rummaged through his luggage. He pulled out a white t-shirt and laid it over the top of his head so the body of the shirt covered his neck and he wore a baseball cap on top of it to keep it in place. He rolled the car windows down just enough to help keep the interior of the vehicle vented. As he locked and closed the door, he realized his keys were in the ignition. He swore and then looked up at the sun and laughed. There was nobody around to break into the car and even if somebody did, what would they take? He shook his head as he looked up and down the empty road. He then expelled a long breath and headed south across the sand. The first hour was bearable but tiring. The heat was oppressive. Every moment the sun was upon him, it felt as if it were getting hotter. His clothes were soaked through with sweat, his lips were dry, and a raw scratching of thirst crawled in his throat. He looked back and could still see the black outline of his car by the side of the road. He knew the average walking speed was about three miles an hour, but he was unsure if he had even traveled that far. He turned back to the building rooftops in the distance and felt a clawing despair in his stomach when he could not find them on the horizon anymore. He couldn't go back to his car. Pressing forward was the only chance he had. By the fifth mile, the light and heat reflecting back at him from the yellow and white sand and gravel was torturous and exhausting. It felt as if hot coals were embedded in the heels and arches of his feet. Occasionally, he would see translucent patches of color floating before him. Dark purples, earthen reds, 
and blackish dirty green. In the near distance, a dark form lay upon the ground. Gordon brought his hand to his brow beneath the brim of his hat and squinted his eyes. As he got closer, he realized he'd been staring at the soles of a dead man's feet. The body was laying face down with its head turned to the side. The man's skin was dried and leathery. Every drop of water had been baked out of him. The corpse was dressed in contemporary clothes, but the back of his blue jeans and his green button-down shirt had been bleached white by the sun. Gordon knelt down to brush some sand off the sunken cheek of the dead man. There were two circular impressions on the back of his skull, about an inch in diameter, which caused the skin to dry in deep concave pockets with a tiny hole in the middle of each. Gordon instinctively looked over his shoulder and then back at the man on the ground before him. He patted the man on the shoulder and bit his lower lip as he nodded his head. The body was still intact. That was not a good sign. In the barren wasteland around him, even the wildlife found the area too inhospitable to forage. There was almost no vegetation except for the wooden remnants of thorny bramble that appeared to have expired years ago. There was no shade or shelter from the sun. Gordon trod onward, pushing himself forward with every step. His energy had been sapped away by the desolation and the heat. All of his muscles ached, feeling like they were on the verge of tearing. His clothes had dried and he was no longer sweating even though the temperature was still on the rise. It was heat exhaustion and he knew his chances for survival were dwindling by the minute. His mouth was pasty and dry. Every breath he took of the sweltering air felt like fire burning in his lungs. He could see the definite outlines of buildings in the distance and the occasional flicker of light reflecting off glass or metal. He wasn't sure if he was hallucinating or not, but they appeared much closer and more tangible than the shadows in the distance he had seen before he had set out. He had no idea how long or how far he had walked, but he reckoned it must have been at least another hour or more because he could no longer see the black dot of his car or the highway he had left behind. He couldn't even see the body of the dead man anymore, but that would be difficult to spot from more than a couple of hundred yards away. All he knew was it had been a while since he had found it. That was the last time he had rested because he knew if he stopped again, he would not make it any further. Through waves of delirium, he began to believe he was walking in place and forward momentum was only an illusion. Visually, nothing immediately in front of him appeared to change or move unless he looked at the ground with each step he took. With that view, he could see that in fact his feet were passing over small rocks and other pebbles that were hidden in the sand. Everything above him was a ghostly pale blue, which to him felt like despair and emptiness. Everything else was a hazy blur of white, which may have been sun blindness or a result of his reeling vision not being able to find anything to fix his attention upon. Despite his best effort, he eventually collapsed to the ground with his legs folding beneath him. He landed roughly on his knees, sending a piercing jolt of electric pain up through his thigh bones and into his hips. He began weeping, but he had no tears. He was exhausted. Then in front of him, in the distance, he saw the wavering outline of a house no more than a quarter of a mile away. With all the strength he could manage, he pushed himself up and staggered forward erratically. The house was white, which had made it difficult to see in the pale distance. 
As he entered the barren backyard, his breath was a whispered scratching that floated somewhere between laughing and crying. The boards around the base of the house were a light taupe color caused by an accumulation of blowing sand. The windows were dark. In their reflection, he saw that the hours of exposure in the raw heat and the sun had not been kind to his face. His skin was bright red and bubbled with blisters under his eyes, on his cheekbones, and on his chin. His nose was a dark reddish brown and shiny where the skin had peeled away. His lips were cracked and yellow. Gordon looked away horrified, trying to assure himself it wasn't nearly as bad as he thought it looked. He walked around the side of the house, gently touching the painted panels as he went. In the front yard, he saw there was no car in the driveway and the garage door was closed. With concerted effort, he climbed up the porch stairs and rang the doorbell. He wavered unsteadily back and forth as he waited. All was quiet, and then, in the dark interior, there was a muffled sound of footsteps and house slippers. The door opened. A woman in her mid-fifties, wearing black-rimmed glasses with square lenses, stood in the doorway. She brought her hand to her mouth and said, Dear God. A look of revulsion and concern lit her eyes. After a moment, she carefully unlatched the screen door and held it open. What happened to you? Gordon pointed weakly in the direction of the desert behind her modest home. In a sandpaper whisper, he said, Water, please. The woman's concern quickly changed to alarm. Come in, get out of the heat, she said, moving to the side of the entranceway. Gordon took off his hat and he stepped inside. The air conditioning felt like cold liquid pouring over his skin. He shuddered uncontrollably as the cold air met the nape of his neck and ran icy trails down his back. The house smelled like mothballs with a sickly sweet undertone of artificial flowers. Everything was remarkably clean and tidy. It seemed as if it were a museum of contemporary living. The floors and walls were white, black area rugs adorned the floor, and gray leather furniture gave the entire place an antiseptic feel. The woman latched the screen door shut before closing and locking the front door. She then walked down a short hallway and disappeared around a corner to the left. Here, in here, have a seat, she called from a nearby room. Gordon weaved uneasily as he looked at the pristine finish on the white floor. He leaned heavily against the wall and removed his shoes before following her voice into the kitchen. There was a glass of water sitting on a small table in a corner of the room next to a window that looked out into the front yard. The woman was on the other side of the room filling a glass pitcher with ice and water. As Gordon seated himself at the table, he was abjectly aware of the coolness of the floor leaching up his legs through his feet. He took a sip of water and winced. He was so dehydrated he didn't have a chance to swallow it. His dry tongue absorbed the water. The sensation of it felt as if the liquid was tearing his flesh apart. He poured another ounce of water into his mouth, and after a moment of sitting absolutely still, he was able to swallow it. It was like wet fire. His throat was cracked and raw. He could taste blood. The woman turned to face him. Here's some more for when you're done with that. She set the pitcher of water and ice on the table. She looked at the hallway, and then her eyes returned to the man sitting at the table in her kitchen. She raised an eyebrow. How long were you out there? What happened? 
Gordon told her about the car overheating, the crack in the radiator hose, not being prepared for car problems, not having any water, and his trek across the desert. I don't know who that man was, but he's still out there, he finally said. The woman spoke in a calm and reassuring voice, but her eyes remained wide and her pupils were dilated with panic and fear. That means you were out there over five hours. I'm going to call somebody to come and get you. For some help, okay? She walked into an adjoining room without waiting for a response. Gordon nodded his head and looked at the floor. There were red smears on the white tile. They trailed in from the hallway and led to where he sat. He lifted his right leg and saw that his blistered feet were bleeding through his socks. When the woman returned to the kitchen, Gordon immediately began apologizing. I'm sorry, he said. Do you have paper towels or a mop or something I can use to clean up this mess I made? She smiled uneasily. Don't worry about that right now, she said. With an uncomfortable politeness, she averted her gaze and moved back to the kitchen sink. You should drink more water. You must be terribly dehydrated. She leaned against the counter and looked at the clean white space on the floor between her and the bloody footprints. Gordon swallowed thickly and said, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. You've saved my life. I must look and sound like a crazy person to you. For the first time, she smiled softly for a brief moment as an uncontrolled half-laughter escaped beneath her breath. You don't need to thank me. It was the right thing to do. Gordon said, Please don't discount what you've done. I mean it. The world needs more people like you. Her cheeks flushed a delicate pink color for a moment and she nodded her head. You're welcome, she said. A long moment of silence stretched between them in the cool and quiet room. Then the woman said, I teach media studies at the middle school. Afternoon classes were canceled due to the heat. I've taught there 15 years and this is only the third time they've done that. I guess it was pretty fortunate for you in a way. I mean, it's not good for you that it was so hot, but if it hadn't have been so hot, I wouldn't have been home. The doorbell rang. The woman raised her eyebrows in modest surprise. As she walked past the table where Gordon sat and into the hallway, she muttered under her breath, that was quick. Gordon looked out the window that was near the table. A state patrol car sat in the driveway. In the hallway, there was a murmuring of conversation and then a sheriff entered the kitchen. He was very tall and wore a stern, dispassionate look upon his face. He said, quite a scare out there, huh? Without smiling or any change in facial expression, he walked over to Gordon and stood directly in front of his chair. The sheriff intently studied Gordon's eyes as he spoke. I'm Officer Howard. He held up his right index finger and held it about a foot and a half from Gordon's face. Follow my finger with just your eyes, he said. The officer moved his finger slowly to the left and to the right and quickly changed the direction back to left again. Then he took a flashlight from his belt and shined it directly into Gordon's eyes. Gordon winced after a prolonged moment and the officer turned off the light and clipped it back to his belt. You seem to be doing okay, he said. How are you feeling? Gordon shrugged and then smiled a bit impishly as he underplayed the severity of his condition. I felt better, he said. Howard nodded his head. I'm going to take you somewhere where you can rest and recuperate. He then turned and smiled at the woman. We shouldn't impose ourselves upon Ms. Meeker and her lovely home any longer than we have to. The woman blushed a brighter shade of pink and waved a dismissive hand. Thank you for coming, Officer Howard. I really appreciate it. Gordon reached out a hand to get some assistance standing. 
Officer Howard took a step backward, keeping his eyes on him, and then nodded his head without extending his hand. Go ahead, he said. You can stand. Gordon pushed himself up from the table, pinching his face in obvious discomfort as he did. He gritted his teeth, gently transferring his weight from one blistered foot to the other. Careful, Howard said. You don't want to make any more of a mess than you already have. He grabbed Gordon by the elbow and pulled him to the front door and then outside, down the porch, and to the patrol car. The sheriff opened the rear door of the vehicle and Gordon looked at him with weary discontent. Howard said, No passengers are allowed up front. State law. With mild reluctance, Gordon climbed into the back and Sheriff Howard closed the door heavily behind him. For a brief moment in time, everything was eerily quiet until Sheriff Howard opened the driver's door and got in. He picked up a clipboard that had been sitting on the passenger seat. He looked at his watch and made a couple of notes on the clipboard before returning it to its resting place. Then he radioed dispatch. He spoke into a handset that was attached to the radio by a coiled rubber cord. 1091 is 1026, estimating about 15 minutes before we're 1019. The radio crackled back. Copy, Unit 81 is 1047, awaiting information. He replaced the handset and backed the patrol car out of the driveway. After a mile of silence, Howard said, You awake back there? Gordon cleared his throat. Yeah, I'm just tired. It's been a pretty rough day. Howard nodded his head very slightly and said, I've seen it a lot worse, but I can also say that I'm glad I'm one of the responders and not one of you guys on the other end of it. Gordon nodded as well. Well, it certainly made me reassess a lot of things. Howard said, Care to tell me about how it all happened? I'll listen to anything you have to say. It might be helpful. Gordon explained that he traveled through Arizona every six months like clockwork taking the same roads and stopping in the same towns. He then went through the events of that morning and afternoon, starting with the car problems, the cracked radiator hose, the overheated engine, his trek across the desert, the body he found, and ultimately ending up in the backyard of the woman's home he now knew to be Ms. Meeker. Howard quietly listened, interrupting only a couple of times, asking for more specifics on locations and in order to radio dispatch regarding where the car and the body could be found. Eventually, they arrived at a large gray concrete building with a plain exterior. Once inside, Gordon realized it was the county jail. What are we doing here? Howard pointed a finger at him and said, Just relax. This will only take a minute. The sheriff talked to a man with a fully receded hairline who sat at a desk behind a bulletproof window. Can we get this guy checked into his own room? He's not really being detained right now, but he needs a place to rest and recuperate while we wait for someone to make sure he's okay. Gordon said, this really isn't necessary. Howard looked at him and said, you need to be checked out and you don't have anywhere else you can go right now. And even if you did, you don't have any way to get there. He pointed at the man behind the window with his thumb. Frank here doesn't mind helping me out, do you, Frank? The man on the other side of the window smiled and rolled his eyes a little as he shook his head. He said, it's not my place to question. Later, when Gordon woke, he was momentarily disoriented. He looked at the gray cinder block walls and then down at the hard metal bed he lay upon. He sat up, vaguely remembering the sheriff giving him one of the open cells to rest in until a doctor was available to come and take a look at him. Then he realized Sheriff Howard was standing on the other side of the bars and the cell door was closed. 
Howard held one of the cell bars with his left hand. He wore a gold wedding band, which he tapped against the metal bar. I got a question for you, he said. How is it that a guy like you, a guy who regularly drives through the area twice a year, by his own words taking the same roads every time, how is it that guy, you, weren't prepared for car problems? Gordon shrugged. I've never had any problems before. I guess I never thought I would. Howard nodded his head, tapping his ring against the bar a couple more times. And what do you think the chances are that out of all the miles of desert there are, you just happened to find the body of a local businessman named Chad Taylor who went missing half a year ago? Gordon pushed himself up from the hard bunk. All of his muscles ached. He stood but remained hunched over due to his physical pain. I don't know, but I don't like where this is leading, and I don't like what you're implying. Howard nodded his head again, tapping the ring against the bar a few more times. There's no implying. Here's what happened. You kidnapped Taylor with the intent of ransoming him, but something went wrong, or you lost your temper and ended up killing him, so you dumped him in the desert where nobody would find him. Then you hear about a reward for information regarding the missing man. You figure, you stage your car breaking down, you find the body, throw suspicion off yourself, and you collect the reward along the way. Gordon eased his way over to the cell bars. You are insane. Let me out of here. I am done. Howard looked calmly into his eyes and said, How crazy is it going to sound when we find your DNA all over the crime scene? Gordon raised his voice. Of course you're going to find my DNA. You'll find my fingerprints too. I already told you I touched the body. Howard said, Why would an innocent man play around with a dead body, if that's your claim? Gordon said, I never said I played with the body. He emphasized the word played with disgust. I was delirious and delusional and on death's door. I don't know what I did. I wasn't thinking clearly. He gritted his teeth and said, But I know I did not kill that man. If I am under arrest, let me talk to a lawyer. If not, let me out of here now. Howard smirked and shook his head. You're under arrest, all right. Gordon said, You don't have a case. You didn't even read me my rights. Howard tapped his ring on the bar one last time and took a step back from the cell. He thought for a moment and then pointed at Gordon. I think you may be right. Then he looked around conspiratorially and said, Do you have anyone who can verify that for you? Or is it up to the courts to decide if they trust the word of a killer or the word of a lawman? Gordon's mouth went slack. He looked into the sheriff's eyes to see if he could find any measure of salvation or hope. He closed his mouth and shook his head, and then he looked at the smooth surface of the concrete floor beneath his bare and blistered feet. Howard spoke in an almost jovial tone. Right now, there are enough charges to keep you detained indefinitely. Disturbing a crime scene, tampering with evidence, obstruction of justice. Whether you admit your guilt or not, I can make sure you don't see daylight for the next 20 years. At this point, murder is just icing on the cake. He patted the metal bars with the palm of his hand. Why don't you take some time to think about that? He turned from the cell and began walking down the empty corridor. He called back to him. There's no rush, he said. My wife told me she was making pot roast tonight. It's my favorite. Gordon sat on the hard edge of the metal bunk. High in the gray wall, there was a tiny window, one foot high and one foot long. In the cool darkness of the cell, the sun had never felt so far away. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you for downloading and listening. 
If you have enjoyed this story or any of the other stories featured on this program, please take the time to rate and review The Addendum Podcast. Until next time, this has been The Addendum.